This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone. It is fight week for UFC 246. Myself, the man, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. We're going to break down this card, talk a little bit about uh, McGregor versus Cerrone uh, in depth. Although we kind of did that last week, but we'll do we we'll do it a little bit more because uh, that's the fight to watch right now. And uh, we also will talk about um, some upcoming fights that have been announced, some upcoming cards that are coming up. And uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Glory, your experience in the Netherlands? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that was nuts. So uh, walk us through that. Why don't we start with that? You're back from uh, Glory in the Netherlands. It was uh, Glory Collision 2. Yep. And it looks like it set the table nicely for Glory Collision 3. Yeah, and that's what we want. We want number (laughs) three. Uh, This was the biggest kickboxing event we've seen in a long time. The only events that may have been bigger were old school, like Like K-1, where they had like 60,000 people in those uh, K-1 heavyweight tournaments. But outside of those big ones, this we had 32,000 thousand people at that event yeah and for me it was kind of like yeah it's cool you get to fight there yeah i'd rather fight there but for it was uh, a big thing for me to just talk and present and talk in front of thirty-two thousand people Mm -hmm. so i was extra nervous there was a little bit of extra anxiety a little bit more pit sweating Uh, (laughs) and that's a lot of sweating i was drenched at one point but uh it was just a cool experience for me personally just to be um to, to, to talk and to be part of an event like that and to be an in-ring interviewer, to be the host of the show. And I think it was just a huge accomplishment for my commentary career. But just as a fan, man, to sit there and watch Botter and Rico fight in front of 32,000 people, their walkout was incredible. We put extra TV in production by the walkouts. It's incre- it's crazy. If you thought Israel Adesanya's walkout was was cool <laughs> yeah. and stuff, we went like times 10. We That little tunnel they had, we lit it up. We walked it. We had smoke. We had, you know, silhouettes. We rocked the show. It was one of our best shows from, you know, from our producers to our, you know, stage help to the guy setting it up. We killed that event. Um, the event, it was supposed to, it was uh, Collision 2 hashtag unfinished business. Mm-hmm. And we got more <laughs> unfinished business. Yeah. So those who didn't see it, you know, uh, Rico for the first time, you know, was dropped twice. And then Botter ends up getting an injury. Uh, and the fight doesn't continue. But Rico was dropped twice, uh, once in the first, once in the third, won the second. So we still have unfinished business, <laughs> which I can guarantee you Collision 3 will probably have 50,000 people. Oh, man. Because it yeah. was insane. How much insane. Uh, How much time will Harry need to um, rehab? Depends. Who knows the injury? I heard some calf stuff. I've heard, you know, Achilles things. Um, Achilles would be bad. Yeah. But I think, I know from my Understanding, he'll be back sometime next year, and we signed him for six this fights year. this year. This year, yeah, <laughs> this year, twenty twenty. I still write everything twenty nineteen. It's going to take me another week. I, I heard a tip that if you're signing any sort of paperwork or contracts or whatever, I, I you know have to write saying. the twenty twenty in yes. full because people can just fill in the last two digits of yeah, the year. If you write someone 20. just told me that. Yeah, my, so, there you go. So a tip for our listeners so that you don't there get built out of money by a, a scammer. Yeah, the classic tip since it's winter. Don't drink yellow snow. Yep, and uh, write twenty twenty in full. There you go. So that so you had fun at that event. Have you it ever had amazing. aversion to public speaking? No, I, I never spoke in public at all. The <laughs> only speaking I've ever had was talking in front of my kids at school, presentations at school. What I mean is that were you ever nervous about it? Always. So to do that, how do you get? I guess the chutzpah to get in front of. Do you Just know what chutzpah it. is? It's a Jewish thing. It's yeah. like, you know, I guess in yeah. what it is. Yeah, the gall. The cojones. You know? yeah. yeah, the cojones to, uh, the, the, to, to get in front it. of that many people. Um, you just do it. It's the zone. It's like fighting. Like, oh, how do you go fight in front of all those people? Get yourself in a zone. Take a few deep breaths and just do it. Zone. Hit the zone. I have to get into the zone. Mm-hmm. I literally have to get into the zone. So in my commentary interviews, like, boom, I'm right out there. I'm not staring at the crowd. I'm interviewing that one person only. I'm not looking at the 32 other thousand people. And it's just focus on that guy and just be genuine and happy in that moment. Yeah, I, I hear you about the zone. I'm, I'm not in the zone right now. Like, I, I took a vacation. I was in the zone before I left. At yeah. the end of the year, I felt like I really hit a stride. And I did some interviews, and now I feel like I, I could have done better. Yeah. You know, like I always. But there were times where, like, I'm I'm not like my harshest critic. You know how some people are their harshest critic. I'm they're like, very they're harsh. like, oh, that sucked. When I do a good interview, I I acknowledge it. Like I I feel like it's important to acknowledge your successes and to acknowledge your good yeah. work. But sometimes, you know, I I need to get into that that state where I I just 
feel like I have momentum, and right yeah. now I need to rebuild that because I've been away. I was yeah. in Florida. See, for me, it was like it's more of the live atmosphere. Like commentating is easy. You're behind your headphones. You're talking. You're talking. I'm talking to Grisham. We're just talking fights. But then all of a sudden, you have to go in now. Now your speaking skills, the way you present, the way you ask questions, and I think what people have to understand, like the the biggest challenge for me is there's a huge difference between being a commentator and a huge difference between being an in-ring interviewer. Where I think that's where you are really good at is your ability to ask questions, I think, in the way you phrase the question. So, like, I can go in there and say, um, hey, you had a great fight. How do you feel? Very basic. But what I'm learning as an interviewer now, in which I think you always do well, is you set up the question. Hey, you know, you're 3-0 and now. You're on a streak. You finished the last two opponents. You know, you got to feel good about this. So you kind of phrase it with stats and facts and points, and then it just kind of flows better. So I'm learning the skill of being an interviewer, which is new to me. That's literally brand new. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning that. And these phone interviews are tough sometimes because, like, we had O'Day Osborne on the last show. And when he finished sentences, it, it, you know, it felt like he had more to say. Yeah, so you don't want to cut him but off. It's, no, but it's just, an inton- yeah, it's just an intonation. Like some people speak like that where they – I find Israel's like that too. He'll say something and you'll feel like there's more to the sentence and then it just kind of wraps. Yeah. And then you have to think on your feet. It's like, You'll okay. Jump how, in yeah. and, and it doesn't flow as well. It's harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you need to have And that's time. where I guess in person is a little bit better too because you can kind of see the body language a little bit more. But yeah, phone interviews are really tough. I find them really difficult. And it's be- and, and the thing is with interviewing, I always been told where you don't want to always go in there with set questions. But oh, when you when do. you're nervous, you always come with set questions. So someone could be like, "Oh yeah, I know I had a great day and I killed somebody." Oh, okay. So tell me about your day. How, uh, you said it was going good. You just said he was going to kill someone mm-hmm. and now you're just set to your set questions. Yeah. You got to go naturally and I think that comes with experience. 100%. And I try not to have that much preparation. Yeah. In terms of how the questions are written, I yeah. like to react More to what facts. people are saying. You were trying to learn facts about them. Yeah, for sure. And read previous interviews, learn about them, and then you can bring that up and say, you know, I read this about you and all that. Yeah. But uh, And even that, I feel like if I just asked the question without saying, I read that about you, yeah. I feel like it would still flow. People would be like, oh, he knows about this. Yeah. You don't need to explain that you know about it from reading about it because obviously when you learn, you're reading about stuff. And the problem, too, when you get a lot of these guys on interviews, they probably had a list of like guys that they're dealing with. So they're answering the same questions. They're asking, you know, so tell me about your fight. So it's hard for them to be excited. So I think the key is you have to make it fun as well as pull the information out for them, mm-hmm. which is it's, it's not easy, you know. But it also, I think, goes a long way with people if you if you show that you you know stuff about them, that you have researched them, that you find that you're interested in them as people rather than just like yeah. as a commodity that is the yeah, fighter. Oh, big big time! And I think that's where the biggest compliment I get for my job doing the interviews and stuff is that I don't go in like when when um, when I go into an in ring interview, I'm going in as their friend. I'm going in as someone who cares about them. So like you can really. See see the genuine side of me when I interview. Like when you watch a lot of interviews, hey, how do you feel? And they just put the mic on. But for me, it's like I'm smiling with them. I'm happy with them. I'm, I'm feeling the moment with them. you know. And I think that's where I never want to lose that, but increasing my skill as an interviewer. Yeah, I'm starting to approach it in a different way too. Like there are all the questions that are always asked when someone wins a fight. Like, who do you want to fight next? There's, there's three questions. Yeah. Always three questions. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Something about their performance, and what do you want next? Yeah. And I'm trying and to avoid... You just phrase the three in different ways, but they're mm-hmm. all the three same questions. And I'm trying to avoid that. Like, I feel like when someone has won, and they've prepared for such a long time to do this, we know how it feels to win. They don't know who they want to fight next for the most part. Some of them do, but it's probably, I'd say, less than 10% of them actually have a name in mind um, for who they want to fight next, which I actually think is usually a mistake. It it would be good to have a name that you just have in the back of your head. But you're also so focused on who you're going to be fighting that I I can completely understand why you don't have a name. And then uh, when you're telling them about what happened in the fight, I think that the nuances are important. Like the setups, I feel like if somebody knocks someone out, they're more proud of the setup than the knockout itself, like the work that went into setting Mm. up what happened. So I'm starting to think more along those lines when I'm talking to people. Um, the problem is it's kind of hard because on a fight night when I'm in the back and I'm waiting to interview the winner, I'm also watching the next fight. Yeah, I'm also yeah, distracted yeah, yeah. during their fight. And you have to know everything on other fighters too. Yeah. So it makes it more difficult to 
uh, have really good questions. I don't write anything down on Fight Night for the most part. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll have a notepad with me and a pen. Usually I don't even use it. Yeah. Because I want to. I like reacting on instinct. But I'm I'm trying to find new ways to um, really make the fighter think a little bit more when I'm talking to them because I just think it does a service to the viewer that they get a more thoughtful answer and a less kind of canned answer. Yeah. And I think it's the way you even approach them in that first question. I can be like, hey, Aaron, um, tell me how you feel. But he's like, oh, my God, Aaron, man, that was incredible. Man, I, I, you had me on my feet. Like, you can just bring that friendliness out sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that helped with me a lot because I've gotten guys who are the most serious kickboxers just sit there, barely talk, but at some points we're laughing, we're giggling, and we're just and then they open up more, and I found they were more likely to want to bring it out. So bringing that little friendly approach to them seems to work well. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know? I just think that we are in a, a place right now where things are getting a little bit boring in terms of how Big things are time. covered. I'm bored asking questions, so I'm yeah. always thinking, like, I want to ask them something else. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, in-ring, in the interview, it's one of the hardest, because a lot of in-ring interview guys were going, oh my god, that was a great fight, tell me about the knockout. But then that that guy's like, man, I just want to take the moment in. I want to thank everybody. So I think it's so individual mm-hmm. that you have to know the fighter before you kind of go into it. Yeah. And Helwani's a really good interview. Like I, I don't think he gets enough credit for uh, how much preparation he just has in terms of knowledge. He's got basically a, like a photographic memory, which really I think helps yeah. him a oh, lot. Yeah, big time. But uh, he's really good at crafting questions and. You know, you have to really nitpick his interviews to find something that he hasn't asked. Like I always have. Like, I always think when he is interviewing somebody, what would I ask them? And it's very rare that he doesn't he cover doesn't. that ground. And he's not scared either to kind of ask those controversial questions. Or, like, he tries to pull out some, like, some of the tension. And guys tend to open up to him because he's friendly. He's nice. I think he's he's one of the best to do it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's got lots of experience. Yeah. And that helps. Great. Comes with reps. So, uh, UFC 246 this Saturday, T-Mobile Arena going to be mm. awesome because we've got the return of Conor McGregor and uh, he'll be facing Cowboy Cerrone. So last episode I kind of walked you through yes. you know the different ways walked that through Cerrone ranted. can win. It was a little win. bit of a rant. Yeah, it was, it was a, a little, little bit of a rant. But I feel like yeah. it's because people are disrespecting Cowboy, a okay. guy who I think should be one of the most respected guys in the sport. All right, let's rant again. But let's, <laughs> I'm going to give you the floor now. So how do you think this fight goes? Like if, if you were to if you were to say you know I I think that the most likely way that this fight plays out Walk me through it. I'm not going to play on the fence. Uh, you don't want me to play like, well, well. No, just, just the most likely. What the do you most think is the most likely, likely scenario of how it goes? I think, one, you're going to get a Donald Cerrone that's hesitant. I think he knows that his advantage is the long game. So I think you're going to see a Donald Cerrone that's going to keep good distance, move, try to set things up, play the distance game. He's not going to take many big chances as the fight opens up. Where I think Connor is going to play those weird stances, stay nice and long, try to feint, and he's going to usually try to use his feints to probably set up, kick long, and then when he has the opportunity, he's going to try to catch you know, Cerrone. I think the way he catches Cerrone is Cerrone tends to kick with his chin really high. So as Cerrone goes to kick, I think that's the opportunity that Connor's going to slam that rear straight down the middle. And I think he gets, you know, Cerrone off balance, gets on top, um, and finishes via TKO. I'm going to say second round TKO win Connor McGregor. All right, cool. Well, I wanted to hear. Uh... How you th- again, and that this is how you think it, the most likely yeah. scenario for likely. the fighters. Then, but I can say the buts. That's where you come in. Yeah, the well, buts. But I, it is yeah. true. All of those buts and all those, you know, facts that you had about, you know, Donald Cerrone are true. But my alternate scenario could be. Connor should have to win first two rounds. Third round, I think we might see if it goes to three. We see Cowboy pick up four and five could go to Cowboy. So the likeliness, if you're going to bet on Cowboy to win, you put it by decision. You think by decision? I think the odds for it to even go beyond two and a half rounds are. Yeah. But I'm saying money. if you wanted to make money and you think Cowboy's going to win, I think Cowboy wins in decision. I don't hmm. think he finishes. I think it would be submission. So I think submission would late be round more submission. Likely. Yeah, I think that would be the more likely uh, path for yeah. him. But I also think, again, Connor knows how it feels to sit in a grinding match, so I think he'll be a little bit more cautious with his energy and his gas tank. Both guys will. Mm-hmm. I think For both sure. guys will. But I think it's going to be, you're going to see a lot more cautious uh, Cerrone. I but think he Cerrone's can't go got in w- really good cardio. I don't think he needs to take it easy. Like, yeah. I think he but can I just go think he rounds. needs to take it easy for the reason that he can get countered. Mm-hmm. 
that's the reason he needs to be patient. Rounds, not sure. not just volume. Like I mean, yeah, he has the cardio, but as soon as he opens up, that's where he starts being vulnerable to getting hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that he's going to play it very safe in the first two rounds. I think that would be Big in his time. best interest. Yeah. Because like again, he's experienced. I mentioned in the last thing, the best thing that Connor uh, Cowboy has going into this fight is his experience and his ability to fight in different ways. I think in the past, he hasn't used his wrestling and jiu-jitsu enough when he should. So I think if he's going to use it, he needs to tie Connor up, clinch him up, use the tie clinch, use body locks, put him in, pull guard, wear him out. He needs to play that game. But I think there's a lot of pride not to pull guard. Well, not necessarily, because Cowboy says he's going to stand and trade with him. That's like which means but, he's going to wrestle. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. You 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 can't take what fighters say at face no. value when they're talking about strategy before a fight. Like you have to be crazy to say like this is how I'm going to do this. And again, people want to talk about ring rust. You know, Cerrone has been more active than Connor has. Does that play an advantage? You know, does the years and the mileage uh, of you know Cowboy? I think Cowboy older. The years of experience on his body, the damaging fights, like that's a wear and tear on the body. That's a wear and tear on the brain. That's a wear and tear on, you know. I always said, like, you could have a new Ferrari and an old Ferrari. You put a lot of miles on that Ferrari, you know, eventually it's going to start acting up. It's yeah. going to maybe misfire here and there. It might be a little slower off the line. Where I think a fresh, if that cowboy, you know, vehicle's got to run, but that. You know, when you have Connor sitting, waiting, staying sharp, not taking shots to the head, not having to go through dehydration, rehydration, like that can be in his advantage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was just looking to see how many times Cerrone's fought since um, the Alvarez fight, and he's fought 11 times to Connor's one Crazy. in the UFC. Yeah. But that, I'm saying it might be too much. At some point, there's a little Has too much on the body. Has it ever been too much body. for Cowboy, though? Like, Cowboy's been doing this for years. Like, if you look at how many fights he's had, since joining the UFC, it's like an ast- I think he averages about three, four or five fights a year. Like, it's- which I think is a mistake, though, because you're going in and look at the guys you're losing to. In, in 2017, you lost to Masvidal, Lawler, and Till. You know what I mean? That's because you're not having full camps. You're not letting your body. You're not as young as you used to. You may need, probably need more time in between fights to recover than when you did when you were in your 20s. So I mean, those are 2017 three losses to the top guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and at a new weight class for the most part. I mean, he had only fought twice, I guess three times at the And he just got knocked that. out and he just got finished in September. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So and you're talking about right? like, you know, in... three, four months later, you're you're it's gonna be four months later, you're taking shots again and you know, is your brain fully recovered after getting finished twice? Yeah. That's the part of it where you I know, think in twenty nineteen. That's the part the of it where I think damage. that Connor where if you're pointing to an advantage that Connor has. The wear and tear, I think, is something you can't oh, overlook. You can't. You have. You have to look at wear and tear. But I also think that when people say that Cerrone's become chinny, that is not true. Like getting knocked out by Gaethje doesn't mean you're chinny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he he he's went two full rounds with Tony Ferguson. I mean, yeah. like yeah. let's let's be real here. Tony Ferguson's oh, he's a, got a, a great finisher, chin. You know, like so when people say oh he's gotten chinny or he's very susceptible to the body, if he was susceptible to the body, everybody would be finishing to the body. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, sure, you're older, you're more susceptible to headshots, you've been hit more, yeah. Sure, his chin isn't as good as it was when he fought, you know. Whatever, in 2015. 2015, yeah, yeah, your chin is obviously, the more shots you take, the energy meter will go down, so it's definitely not as strong, but a lot of his losses, you know. Speaking of 2015, January 18th, 2015, uh, he was in the co-main event against Ben Henderson with the main event, McGregor versus Seaver, yeah. on the same date. I watched that, uh, the be. UFC put some promos on that about the two of them and how they slowly matched up. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought they liked how they did it. I Obviously, um, Connor getting most of the publicity in these highlights and yeah, stuff, which is, makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the storyline. I think it's a fun fight regardless. I love the the play that Cowboy's doing, the Budweiser versus, you know, proper whiskey. They're playing up the culture thing. Mm-hmm. They're playing up the uh, the old school fighting. I like it. You know, people talk about the pressure and that Donald Cerrone isn't, isn't able to win when there's a lot of pressure. But in this situation, I don't feel like he has a ton of pressure. Like, I don't think that people think he's going to win. So I feel like there's actually not as much pressure on him as there would normally be. And he's floating out soon. I, I think we'll... In- 2020, I think he'll retire. I no, would, I don't, you don't think, think so. so. No, I think he'll keep going. I just, really? uh, he's he sat down across from me last year when he was uh, in our building, and uh, he basically said like I, I don't retirement is not even on my mind. Like I, 
like in order for me to retire, I'm gonna just like have to stop liking what I'm doing, and I just love it. He's like, I just love doing or this so the, much. Or the brain damage catches up or something. But yeah. I don't know. I don't. I think he's at a point now where after this, if he doesn't win, why? Mm-hmm. You know. Well, because he likes to. He just loves it. It's it's love yeah. for him. That's what he always says when he's asked about sure, it. Sure, but it's you like, have a son at home. Let's I think he's serious. coming. He's coming to terms with the fact that he will have to retire one day, which I don't think he did. Like if yeah. he would have three years ago, I don't think he did, did I, that. I think he should in twenty twenty. I I don't think it's it's bad to 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 get out at this point. You're not winning any of the big fights. You just got the big red panty night Conor McGregor fight. And then all of a sudden, that's it. Like yeah. I mean, you have to think about, you know, your future. You do have a son. You you have a successful team at the ranch there that, that can help people out, yeah. help upcoming guys. I don't just don't. I think you're at that balance point now where you fought a lot, you took a lot of big risks. To, but then that's that teeter totter. Like you're going into like the deep waters now. You know, like mm-hmm. leave healthy while you're still talking well. You have a son. Your gym. You fought the best in the division. The chances of you getting a title shot are, are probably. Slim. Yeah, if and if, if he loses, this, he'll be four and seven. Then you need another what, three, four, yeah. five fights to get back to a title. Mm-hmm. I think. But for I don't him, think the title's ever been something that he cares that much about. Yeah, he's talked about it more recently that he'd like to get to a title. But uh, yeah, if he loses, he'll be four and seven in his last eleven fights. That's not great, no. and it's, it would be and, the worst. What's, stretch of his, what's his actual age? Before um, I guess, I, I would I think he's younger than I am. I would have said he's a year and a half younger than I am. Wow. He just feels like he's been around forever. Yeah, I like, yeah he's 36. He's uh, and in Mar- 37 yeah, this year. Yeah, be 37 in March. That's a time where you, I feel like after 50 pro fights, you did it, man. You did it. You did great. Mm-hmm. You did good. Let's uh, let's keep healthy and live to uh, 105. You know, 105 and <laughs> influence the sport a different way. So let's let's go down uh, the line in terms of these fights. Uh, the co-main event: Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington, a rematch from uh, one of Holly Holm's first fights in the UFC, if not her first fight. When when who was her first debut against? Yeah, against Raquel Pennington, UFC 184. Split decision, too. Almost five years ago, yeah. Split decision win. Uh, She's had I a remember very bad watching streak. that fight, and before the fight, I said to my dad, "I go, Holly Holm, this is going to be the person that beats Ronda Rousey." And then she had such a lackluster fight against Raquel Pennington, and then another one against Renault. And I was like, maybe I'm just wrong about this. Yeah, and then, yeah. of course, we all know what happened from there. But uh, Holm versus Pennington, the rematch, um, an interesting fight because I think that right now their careers are kind of both winding down. Yeah. Holly, I believe, is 37. Yeah, she's 38. Up there. She's older than I am. Wow. And uh, Raquel Pennington, I believe, is up there in age of two. She, no, she's only 31. Okay, so she's she's still still relatively young. Um, but that, I think that's, that's a good fighting fight. age, 30, 31. I think it's the yeah. most prime for people. For sure. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of uh, females fighting you know, at the age that Holly Holm is at and older. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting fight. But I think that it's going to be contested mostly on the feet. And if that's the case, like I, you just kind of have to go with Holly Holm. I was just reading some articles, too, recently. Clarissa Shields, the boxing yeah. champ, she's got some interest in, in UFC fighting. I interviewed her at the last event. Hey, okay. About, yeah, and and? she's... She's very. She wants to basically prove one. One thing she wants to do is she wants to do one boxing and one MMA fight against the man who has to prove who the best female combat sports. Which we know is. what will happen in each in of both. those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what but is she, that going to? She's also thinking of doing of signing a two fight deal with the UFC and just transitioning full time. I think MMA. she's got bad knees though. I don't think she's got good knees to well, be able to take wrestling takedowns. She's got bad knees. You don't want to be going into MMA. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I thought she had just knee surgery, or maybe she's just talking to get hype. Who knows? But mm. yeah, maybe get attention. But she was at the car. She was at the event. Okay. And uh, she was doing interviews backstage just to, to kind of hype herself up. She had her publicist with her. It was the classic boxing publicist yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. cheering her on. But, you know. <laughs> but, I like her, though. Good personality. Seems to have a good vibe. Mm-hmm. Good speaker. Very good on the mic. Like, she's she's able to sell you on the fact that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that that'll be a lot, a lot of fun to well, watch. Well, she's won least. a lot of history. She got female fighter of the decade for boxing or mm-hmm. something like yeah, that. Yeah, she's, she's Olympian. She's, she's Olympic gold double, medalist. Double. Double. I think yeah, she won double two. Double gold medalist. Yeah. yeah. So, good on her. I mean... I, I'd, I'd be interested to see it just because there's not a whole lot of other intriguing matchups or possibilities out there for Nunez. Yeah. But, I mean, home would probably be a safer fight than Amanda Nunez or something like that. For Clarissa Shields? Yeah, yeah probably. But who knows? Yeah. Um, Holly deserves a, a good fight like that, too. Yeah. There you go. I, but I don't, know a, I don't know if that's already. a very smart tune-up fight for, uh, <laughs> like, a fight for her to get into mixed martial arts fighting Holly. Well, she, she wants to fight Amanda Nunez. Yeah, so, exactly. I guess she's going to yeah, her, her, throw nicer. her a little bit in the deep end and see if she can swim. Yeah. Um, we got Alexei Olenek versus uh, the Maurice Crochet Green. Boss. Yeah. yeah, Maurice Green. This is an interesting one because Olenek, I think, now is like 45 years old, if I'm not mistaken. 42 years old. I, Who I was his last people. win? 
His last win was a while back. It was against uh, Mark Hunt back in September of 2018. Okay, a really big joke against Mark Hunt. But uh, still, big names to fight Walt Harris and Alistair yeah, Overeem. Lost to Walt Harris in 12 seconds and then uh, got knocked out by Alistair Overeem. Sure. Not uh, the best. Not but... a great 2019. But uh, I think that um, this is going to be a very interesting fight for Maurice Green because he does train a lot of submissions. And I, I think that he's going to be his wise His last win to... was submission, too. I'm uh, pretty sure it was a triangle fir- No, that was his first win. I think he lost his last fight. Yeah, he lost his last fight to Sergey Pavlovich. Um, but the but one his, before his UFC debut was a was uh, a, triangle. a triangle. I choke. thought he won a. That was the one I went to, the one in Vegas. Yeah, that was in Vegas. With the yeah, that fighter. was his uh, debut. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting because show. I think Olenek is going to like Olenek has a lot of faith in his striking, but against a guy like Maurice Green, like you're going to be just. And you said Olenek's forty five. Forty two. Forty two. Oh. Is he one of the oldest wrong. on the roster then? Yeah. Definitely one of the oldest on the roster, and at heavyweight, he might be the oldest. He's definitely up there. Um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup because it's going to be, I think, submission versus striking. And I think that Maurice Green is the rightful favorite here because I don't think that he's going to get suckered into the game of uh, Olenek unless he really has that Tries much faith in his submission and, game. Yeah. yeah, I think he'll stay long, use his striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For sure. I like Maurice. Uh, Claudia Gadelia versus Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso uh, had a, um, a great win against Carolina Kovalkiewicz earlier this year and then lost a majority decision that was very controversial against yeah. Carla Esparza. Carla's that one girl when she she started off as the champ, right? Yeah. But then she's just been so inconsistent, I found. Yeah, but still when she's one of the on, top wrestlers. She's yeah. Gone. yeah, I was yeah. going to say, when she's on, she's on. She'll she'll probably you know, contend for titles when she's on. And Esparza, uh, sort of, yeah, Esparza actually had a co- controversial loss to Gadelia. Um, back uh, in 2018. So Gadelia won her last fight uh, via decision against Randa Marcos. Her striking looked uh, very polished. She's been training out with uh, Mark Henry in uh, New Jersey. But if this is a striking fight, I think you have to give Grasso a bit of an advantage. I think Gadelia's best path is to take her down and try to get the sub. Doesn't Claudia train in Vegas, I thought? No, Claudia's moved, actually, to... She just She's been training with uh, Mark Henry since her last fight. Oh, okay, because I saw her at the uh, PI Institute. She lives in Vegas and kind of bounces between the two. Okay. So I don't know if in the winter she didn't go to uh, train with Mark Henry, but I'm pretty sure she's been doing some work with Mark Henry. So uh, Claudia Gadelia versus Grasso, that's an interesting one. And then Anthony Pettis versus uh, Carlos Diego Fejeja. And Fejeja um, and unfortunately that... got scratched from his fight uh, last year in Brazil and then got rebooked against Mirabek Tysimov and beat him as an underdog at UFC 242. Um, so he's been on a bit of a roll. He's on a five-fight winning streak, um, four-fight win streak since coming back from suspension. Uh, and now he has uh, Anthony Pettis in front of him. Yeah. Anthony Pettis has has not won two fights in a row since uh, 2014. So uh, yeah, I just feel like his names, though, right? Nate Diaz. Yeah, look at who he's fought. To beat for Thompson. Sure. His losses to are Tony to, Ferguson. <laughs> losses to Rafael Dos Anjos, Alvarez, Barboza, Max Holloway, Poirier, Ferguson, and Nate Diaz. No shame yeah, in any of those. None of those. And then great wins, too. Like, Thompson's a good win. Kies is a very good hard. win. Charles Oliveira is a great win. Charles Oliveira, Especially yeah. in hindsight. So, uh, you know, you can't really write Pettis off at this point in time. He's still only 32 years of age, 33 later this year. feels like he's been around forever. Yep. And uh, Fahey has 34, so Fahey is actually the older fighter. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That was my pick. Uh, you know, it was... Um, yeah, last week. No, my last week we did a pick. Uh, I, I picked Anthony Pettis. He's an underdog at... Uh, it was plus 220. Yeah, so, so I was like, I'm going to jump on that. Very large uh, yeah, gap some from of what that, I think it With be. that experience, it's a big gap. So I'm jumping on uh, Rufus Sport. Yep. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi against uh, Macy Barber. As you mentioned, Macy Barber is a minus 1,000 favorite. That's crazy. Fight, and that's how much uh, faith people Modafferi, have in her being though, She's awkward, isn't she? She's very. rare. She's different. So Barber and Barber changed teams, I believe, too. Barber She's, is training with Rufus Sport now, and also training with Ben Askren. With Ben Askren, that's yeah. what I heard. But she does both still, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. she's training with both. She's Good. doing her wrestling with Askren and her striking with Rufus Sport. Um, so uh, Barber versus uh, Roxanne Modafferi, and Modafferi's training out in Vegas. She's looked, uh, she's been kind of hot and cold since coming back to the UFC, but she's fought tough opponents. Like she lost to Jennifer Maya, who uh, recently was in a title eliminator fight, beat Antonina Shevchenko, and she was a big underdog in that fight. Uh, lost to Sajara Eubanks and beat Barb Honchak. So. So um, that's been her UFC uh, career thus far. And I, I think that, like you mentioned, she's perpetually underrated. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she's just, I've, I think last year I bet against her a few times. And I'm like, nope, not again. Even yeah. at, you know, even at this uh, big odds, I'm still not touching her. She's mm-hmm. dangerous. She's difficult. Awkward, not my pick. You have to be crazy to lay minus 1,000 on pretty, pretty yeah. much anybody in, the, in a, a female fight in the UFC. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf versus uh, Andre Feely. Yusuf, uh, only one loss on his record, undefeated in the UFC. A great prospect. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andre Feely, one of the real tough outs 
in uh, the featherweight yeah. division. And he and rocks then, a bazooka yeah. shirt all the time. Yeah, as, uh, he, as he should. As he should, yeah. But that no. big knockout win for him over he's Shaman done, uh, He's been year. in two of my seminars I've done. Cool. When I go to California, CSA gym, he's been part of my seminar twice, so mm-hmm. I got to meet him and hang out with him a couple of times. So. Quietly 4-1 and one in his last five. Yeah. And that loss to Michael Johnson was very uh, controversial. So uh, he's been on a roll. So this is a really big test for Sadiq Yusuf. And Haskrat, again, being back, too. Yeah. He's ha- he's press, the one yeah. that... Uh, ha- Hackprast? Yeah. He's the guy who looks like Kelvin Gastel. Yeah. And I just don't know how to say his name. <laughs> Hackprast? Hackprast, yeah. Nasrat Hackprast. Yeah. He's probably the one they're talking to be a next title contender, too, right? Yeah. Eventually. He's like... Uh, He's up there. Mm-hmm. Drew Dober's no joke though. Drew Dober's four and one in his last five. Uh, but Hackprass, yeah. I think they're as feeding him slowly though. I feel like they're not giving him like huge, huge fights right off the bat. Yeah, this is a, a even very though he could easily probably do the tops. This is probably his toughest test, you know. But I still feel like a lot of other guys they would have moved up a lot faster than him. Maybe because of his age and him being young, they're trying to build him nicer. Yeah, for sure. Or he's, or he's maybe picking the right matchups. He's not rushing into anything, which is smart. Smart, uh, too. By him yeah, his I hope so. Uh, Grant Dawson against Chad Skelly, uh, both of whom are on the show later on today. Uh, Grant Dawson has looked really, really good um, since uh, entering the UFC. He's one of the stronger guys at 45, but Chad Skelly's just such an awkward fighter that you just never know if, if someone's going to be prepared for what Chad Skelly throws at them. Now, the thing about Dawson is he's cornered by James Krause, who I think is one of the, the sharp minds in the sport and, yeah. and one of the real up-and-coming coaches. Yeah. And, I mean, even as a fighter, I think he was under the radar. I think he was like 5-1 and one or something yeah. like that. Yeah, something. James Krause is a good fighter. And I, I, I feel like he's just older, so he never got the bigger fights. But as a fighter, he's great, and his coaching is sharp. I mean, yeah, I think he's going to be one of those guys you'll see a lot coaching in the future. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think he's great that way. Yeah, strong team uh, with uh, him, him, Grant Dawson. Uh, I know Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson's been training. And there's one other, one other fighter that's, for whatever reason, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, but, uh, yeah, James Krause looking great. And uh, Chaz Skelly, a, a guy that is, uh, is underrated. He's coming off a nice win against Jordan Griffin um, after losing two straight. And, uh, again, just one of these guys is very unpredictable in there. Uh, Alexa Kamir, he's a guy that I think we uh, should keep our eye on. He's fighting okay. Justin Ledette. Uh, Kamir trains with Stipe Miocic and uh, is considered a, a real top up-and-comer uh, in the sport. And Ledette, I think he has he's on a losing streak. Of, yeah, he's lost two in a row to Rockets and Johnny Walker. No, I mean, yeah, both, yeah, both, phenomenal. both studs. Yeah. But uh, I think that's why they're putting uh, him against... I think Justin Ledette is one of these kind of litmus test guys where you take guys that you think are going to be really good prospects and, and see how they do them. against them. Fair. Because Ledette has very sharp boxing, um, and uh, he's, he's good at game planning for, for striking... Uh, matches in particular, and uh, I think that Kamer's going to be an interesting uh, matchup for him. Yeah, I feel like uh, the, not the strongest of cards, but I still think it's a, it's a nice card, especially being off for a while. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, me too. I, mean, I, I would have maybe liked one or two, maybe one or two more bigger fights on that main card, it being a pay-per-view, but overall, I think they did a good job. Well, I said to O'Day Osborne in our last podcast that like I hate when people say this, you know, it's not a good card. It's like th- these are like the highest level fighters in the world. Go, yeah. to, go on Tapology and look at how many fight cards are held yeah. every weekend. Like these are the best of the best. But I mean, you're talking outside of like promotional talk. I think the one, the main event, talks for itself. So yeah. you don't need to you over. You don't need to stack it up. Yeah, this is a card that. Like but you if said, you're a big fan of the sport, like there's a lot of good fights to keep your eye on. But I still would have liked one more bigger name on the card, maybe as a co-main event. I mean, nothing against Holly Holm and Pennington, but one other big co-main event would have been a little bit more exciting, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, this is a very boxing-esque card, yeah. like in terms of how it's laid out. you got the one huge main event and, and then, then a lot uh, of kind of smaller yeah. fights. But again, in the UFC, like uh, if you follow the sport, you get to see like a lot of really good up-and-coming yeah, talent. And then you get in, but that's what I'm saying. You have to be a little bit more absorbed into the fights to really appreciate this card. Mm-hmm. So I still think it's one. But even for me, like when when I compare Glory events, our European shows are crazy. All the top names, but you go to the the, the North America the cards, yeah. and the China cards. But me being the fan of kickboxing and analyzing, I'm sometimes more excited for these upcomes. You get better fights. Little sometimes the mix match happens, so you get knockouts, you get different things. But when you put two high level guys together, it's not always the best fight. So by keeping an eye on some of these under guys, and I think it's just going to be um, the way to get more excited about these cards. You yeah. have to you have to keep following. And Glory's doing a really good job of developing a lot of the talent from other countries. There's the the kid from Mexico whose name I'm forgetting. Yeah, um, Vidalis. Abraham. Yeah, yeah Vidalis. He's, he's we good. we kind of put him the wrong way. You we, think so? we yeah we matched him against a tough guy, which I didn't agree with. Okay, and uh, the the guy from uh, Israel. 
Yeah, E. Tiger Sean. He He's just good. won. Yeah. He just won at uh, the last fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot He's, of just interesting talent from all over the world. And I think yeah. the UFC is starting to do that as well. They're starting yeah. to see people from all kinds of different places uh, make some noise. But yeah, I'm hoping. Uh, what's the prediction for 2020 for UFC? Any rumors, pay per views? Well, let's how, go down. Off, how often are they going to be? Let's go down the pay per view list because I was going to tweet this out uh, recently, but I don't know. Like, I, I just don't have enough information to really uh, put it out there. But let's go month by month. So you've got January through April booked. You've got uh, this card, obviously, is UFC 246. 247 uh, is uh, in Houston, 248 is um, in Vegas again. 249 is in Brooklyn. So you've got your first four events of the year. May is typically a Brazil pay-per-view. Okay. Uh, Ariel Hawani recently said that June is targeting, they're targeting Australia in June potentially. So you've got those, you've already got those two, I guess, countries that are going to be hosting pay-per-views. Uh, then, of course, you go to July, it's International Fight Week in Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to August, that's probably going to be Canada, just by process of elimination, unless you, you do Canada so? in June. Um, then you've got... Uh, after that, you've got September, which is Abu Dhabi. You've got October, which is usually Vegas. It's earmarked for Vegas. Okay. Then you've got November is MSG, and then you've got December is Vegas. So you've basically got almost the entire pay-per-view calendar filled out. Obviously, you have to figure out what cities is going to be in Australia, um, Brazil, and Canada. But if you go down the list, you kind of have the table set yeah. for what every pay-per-view is going to be. How many pay-per-views are they doing? Twelve. Twelve. They do one a month? One a month. Yeah. Unless they decide to do two, they might do two in July and then none in August. But uh, yeah, so when you look at uh, the calendar, that's you basically have the calendar set from now until the end of the year with pay-per-view. So it's kind of interesting in that regard. I, I'm interested to see where the Canadian pay-per-view is going to take place. If I had to guess, it would be Toronto or Montreal, but we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, so there you go. And now then you've got just fight week after fight week after fight week from now until... Super Bowl. I don't think there's a fight week during Super Bowl weekend, and then it's basically just booked up until like the end. Well, of yeah, April. like the, uh, up onto the the UFC site, they have UFC 249, Khabib and Ferguson, yeah, and that's already, April. Yeah, they're yeah, already so booked April's up to already point. booked. Yeah, so uh, they don't have the rest of the events in April booked. But if you look at it, you've got uh, actually they do have one during Super Bowl weekend. I think that's the oh no, sorry, that's the one where they have the week offs. So they have the the card in North Carolina first week of February is off, and then from February 8th all the way till. Like the first week till the end of March, basically, it's all booked, and then you've got April yeah. starting to get set up. So, we don't even know if there's gonna be a week off then. <laughs> so, again, of Rosenstruck, yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot March, of uh, a lot of March good fights 28th. coming up. There's a rumor that there might be Gaethje versus Oliveira in Brazil, <laughs> which would be unbelievable. Well, isn't there, I'd, be, uh, which, I'd be salivating for that. Who fight. did I hear? Is it Barboza that wants to go to Featherweight? Yeah, Barboza says he's moving to Featherweight. Let's uh, see how that goes. Yeah, geez, I, just I guess heard he sees that Aldo on 135. In. I know. And, uh, I saw Barboza with um, but he's big. with Morais, and he was huge. I he's saw him in the tall, back of Morais. But even when he's weighing in at one fifty-five, he's ripped. He's huge. Not yeah. a. He's gonna have to take some muscle off to make that weight. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Crazy. So I'm interested to see how that one plays out. Uh, well, let's go to our guests uh, for uh, UFC 246. We got two people that will be facing off against one another. You've got uh, the first interview right now. We got. We're gonna go to Grant Dawson who. Uh, is is a really strong up and coming fighter who I think uh, is going to make a lot of noise in the UFC, uh, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I am pleased to be joined now by one of the top up and coming stars in the UFC. That is Grant Dawson, who is uh, coming off a win against Mike Trezano. That was in Rochester. I was at that event. I interviewed you after the fact. So uh, congratulations on, on beating the undefeated Mike Trezano. And uh, a big opportunity for you against Chaz Skelly coming up in uh, just a matter of days. Yeah, man. Uh, we're really trying to excuse me. We're really trying to uh, go off that momentum off of a, a big win over Trezano and just carry it into 2020. You know, uh, Chaz is a great opponent, but I, I, it's really not about Chaz. It's not about these other guys. It's about having a great 2020. Well, I will say you're you're blessed to have one of the best uh, corners in the UFC in James Krause, one of the high-level problem solvers of the sport, uh, coming off a win of his own. Yeah, man, uh, James is amazing. I, every every interview I do, we end up talking about James, and and it's all for good reason. You know, like uh, I think you put it the best. He he's one of the best problem solvers there is. You know. Uh, He's really good at fighter A versus fighter B, and how does fighter A beat fighter B? And that's one of the things that I love about his coaching style. And uh, with him in my corner, it really doesn't feel like it's a one-on-one -on -one sport. It feels like it's two-on-one. 
you fought a lot of different opponents. This is your 15th opponent, I believe, uh, in Chaz Skelly, unless you've had a rematch somewhere along the lines. But have you been able to plan for a guy that's, I guess, as unpredictable as Chaz Skelly? Chaz Skelly's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. He's a savvy veteran. Yeah, man. Uh, I just he, he does have a lot of tricks up his sleeve. It, it's really not about game planning for those tricks, though. So, if I stay, if I stay, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if I stay to my game, and if I uh, if I just make sure I'm I'm on the offense all the time, I really just can't see how he he's gonna he's gonna pull these off. You know, uh, his tricks come from being offensive, and I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm gonna be in his face 24 seven, and I'm gonna be the one uh, pushing the pace and being a, the aggressor. Now, this is obviously a fantastic card to be on. It's the return of Conor McGregor. Um, do you think that that's going to be anything that causes you any sort of tension, or is this just another day in the office for you? Man, this is just another day in the office. When I'm in there getting my face uh, swung at, and I'm swinging at his face. I'm not going to be thinking, oh, man, Conor McGregor's on this card. You know, uh, That kind of stuff doesn't bug me. The nice thing about this sport is, it's me versus him, and everything else just doesn't matter. And once we're done fighting, I get to go to the back, eat a bunch of ice cream, and, and watch Conor fight. So uh, the the more pressure that's on me, the better I do. I don't really believe in pressure itself, but uh, the, the bigger the stakes, the better I do. Now, you had a bit of a rough road getting into the UFC. You had, I guess, signed in 2017, and you had an irregular testing with USADA that very similar to what happened with, with John Jones, uh, as well as Muslim Salikov uh, with this M3 metabolite. They've now changed a lot of those policies. that USADA's updated to um, have, I guess, minimum thresholds, because as they've talked about, and it's starting to get you know redundant hearing about picogram-level findings, I guess that's no longer going to be an issue for you going forward. Is that a big relief for you? Yeah, man, uh, it was a weird situation. Um, I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I definitely believe you can make the best out of everything that happens. Uh, so there were there were good things and bad things that came out of that, but it's past us. We're in the UFC. We've got our third fight on the horizon, and we're going to get it done. You've mentioned in the past that you like that USADA is, is dedicating all the resources to finding out information about this and, and enhancing the science that goes into the sport and keeping this a clean sport. So, I mean, you kind of ended up being a guinea pig uh, for this exper- experiment, I guess, but you're 25 years old. You've got a long career ahead of you. So do you think that in the long term you're going to you know, feel almost blessed that this was uh, part of the early part of your career? Yeah, man. I mean, maybe. Uh, I definitely think that uh, USADA has done a lot – of good for this sport. I definitely think that um, there were a lot of, you know, people uh, that were doing really good, and then after USADA came in, they weren't doing so good. So if you put two and two together, uh, they're just cleaning up the sport, and I think it's great. Uh, it happened early in my career. I'm still super young, so I don't think it's going to be a super big factor, and I think I have a long, positive career ahead of me. When did you know that this was what you wanted to do for a career? When I was 15 years old. All right, so walk me through that. So I uh, was really into football, and um, I, I wanted to play for the uh, Green Bay Packers, and I wanted to be one of the best football players in the world. And I played high school football, and I never got to play. I was always on the bench. I never missed a practice. I always worked really hard at it, and I just I I never got to play a single game. And I came from a very, very small school. So it was kind of like, man, this just isn't, you know – I love football, but I also like being able to compete, so I couldn't compete. So one day one of my friends asked me if I wanted to come over and watch uh, the UFC fights with him, which I thought at the time were just like WWE and they were fake, but it turns out they weren't. Uh, I watched Rampage Jackson and Rashad Evans fight, and after that I was like, this, this is what I want to do. This is the sport that I want to do. Uh, so I just started teaching myself on YouTube, and when I turned 17, uh, I decided to go to a real gym and training ever since. And is it the same gym that you're at now? No. Uh, I started in a small town in Nebraska. We had like two people. And then I moved to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and then I moved where I am now. Who did you train with out in Nebraska? There are a couple of guys that are, are from Nebraska that have done well in the U.S. Houston Alexander comes to mind. I think there's – there's uh, who else is from Nebraska that I'm forgetting? There's a big name right now. That's, oh, um, Anthony Smith. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, man, I've never actually trained. I, I didn't train with Anthony in Nebraska. I have trained with him before, but just not in Nebraska. Uh, I was at a smaller gym. Um, it was it was really hard to afford 
to be able to train at those bigger gyms in Nebraska. And once I could, I decided to move to Missouri and train there. And did you find that you were a natural when it came to the sport? Because you make it look easy in there. You know, you, you have such a, um, a command of what's going on at all times. I don't believe in natural. I don't believe in athleticism. I believe in hard work and being able to, uh, being able to show up every single day. This sport's about odds. If, if you train every day and you throw your jab a certain way, it's not going to be 100% but your odds of winning go up. So for me, it's about just increasing my odds of winning. All right, so speaking of odds, your opponent, Chaz Kelly, is into odds. He's into the, the gambling element of the sport. I don't know if you are, but I do want to talk to you about the main event, Conor McGregor versus uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Um, I, I'm not sure how closely you follow fights outside of your own, but am I the only one who believes that Cowboy's being completely written off in this spot and he absolutely shouldn't be? Uh, for me... <clears throat> Uh, for me, I have to take Connor. Um, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I think that it's going to be a, a more back-and-forth fight than people think. But just the things that I've seen from Connor, you know, uh, hearing through the grapevine about how seriously he's taking his training. He's only done, like, two interviews, but in them he's talking about how he's changed things and that he, he's, you know, on the horse. Uh, I, I really think that Connor is going to beat Cowboy. I do think it will be closer than everybody thinks it will be, but if, if I'm a betting man, I'm definitely putting money on Connor. I pointed out uh, the other day on social media that the, the cool thing about this card outside, obviously, of, of the fact that Connor's coming back, is that there are so many young, talented individuals in the bottom part of this card, you know, from the prelims. Uh, I guess the late and early prelims, you've got Sabina Mazzo, you've got uh, Ode Osborne, you've got uh, Askar Askarov, you've got Alexa Kamier, you've got uh, Grant, Grant Dawson yourself, obviously, you've got Nazrat Hakparast, uh, Sadiq Youssef, Macy Barber, a lot of these coming from the Dana White Contender Series. Do you think that they did that by design, that they're trying to showcase a lot of the younger talent in the sport uh, with the big platform that Conor McGregor gives them? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I think that there is a lot of talent on the card. Um, I think that they're just trying to fill up a good card with good fights. You know, you got Andre Seeley versus uh, Sadiq Youssef, which I think is going to be an amazing fight, and I'm actually really, really excited for that fight. Um, but then towards the top of the card, you have your veterans like Claudia, Claudia Gordelia and Anthony Pettis and all those guys uh, upper. I think that it's just them funneling the guys through like they should, you know. Uh, I think that everybody on this card deserves to be on this card, and I think that we're just here to build our name. Let's talk 145 for a second, because you know a lot of, I guess, very newsworthy things have happened towards the end of the year. Obviously, Volkanovski capturing the title. Uh, you saw Edgar take one last kick at the can at uh, 145 pounds, losing to the Korean Zombie. Charles Jordan puts himself on the map against Duho Choi. Uh, what do you think of the state of the division right now? And who do you think, if you were to make a prediction of who's going to be the champion at the end of 2020, um, outside of yourself, because I'm, you know, every fighter deep down believes that they're going to be a champion. Uh, who do you think that will that would be? Man, I don't think anybody's going to beat Volkanovski except myself for a long time. Uh, I think that he has, he does everything right. Um, he's got good cardio, great boxing, great kickboxing, really outstanding underrated wrestling, uh, and his chin is just ridiculous. Uh, I look through this division. And I just don't see a lot of people that are going to give him a lot of problems outside of myself, of course. Uh, I would have to say that if Max does come back, I still see uh, I still see Volkanovski winning that fight. So by the end of 2020, I'm going to say Volkanovski is still the champion. All right. Well, there you have it. A prediction from uh, one of the up-and-comers in the, in the division. Um, against Julian Arosa, the only time you haven't gotten a finish. Does that continue to haunt you? Do you still think about that? Yes. <laughs> That's all you're going to give me? That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> in what way? In, do you think about it at night when you're up? You know, do, you look, do you go back and watch the fight and say, ah, I could have gotten him here? Anything along those lines? Or uh, elaborate a little bit for me. Next question. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess it's a sore subject with you. So how are you going to finish Chaz Skelly? If you're going to get back on the, uh, the finishing train, you did that against Mike Trezano, who was previously undefeated. Uh, now Chaz Skelly. How do you get the, the finish against him? Uh, arm triangle or rear naked choke, one of the two. Is there an opening you see? I mean, Chaz Skelly takes a lot of risks on the ground um, and often, you know, often ends up in advantageous positions, but is there something that you see that leads you to believe that an arm triangle could be um, what ends up happening here? 
I think that he lets himself get put in bad positions to try to create a scramble that people aren't used to. If you let me get to those bad positions, you're not going to be able to scramble. I'm so good at controlling position while doing damage. That's the difference between me and everybody else that he's fought. I don't just control position and I don't just do damage. I do both simultaneously. I think that he's going to get desperate in the late second round, early third round, and I think he's going to open himself up to be finished. Has there ever been a fight where you felt like you were in a a strength disadvantage? One of the things that stands out to me is just how much control you're able to get over your opponents. Um, And I feel like just watching you, I can tell that you're one of the strongest in terms of um, just sheer strength in the division. Yeah, man, uh, I've fought a couple of guys that have been really stacked and and just you can see that this dude is, is very strong. I fought a gentleman named Robert Washington. He's like four foot nothing, but man, he is stacked out of his mind. And uh, when I see those people that might have the strength advantage on me, I know that they can't keep up with my. And when I see those people who can keep up with my cardio, I know they can't keep up with my strength. I have the best of both worlds. I don't hit very hard, but I definitely uh, have the strength advantage and the cardio advantage in most of my fights. All right, well, Grant, thank you for this. A, a very strong glimpse at the future uh, for UFC 246. You've got a lot of great up-and-comers on the card, uh, yourself being one of them, and uh, I look forward to seeing your continued success in the UFC. Thank you so much for having me. That was Grant Dawson. He's going to be facing Chaz Skelly. I always like speaking with Chaz. Uh, Chaz is, is really interested in the gaming part of the sport. He's always uh, interested in breaking down fights, but uh, having already spoken to him, I know that during fight camp, he's zoned in on his opponent, so he doesn't have a, a ton of great predictions. So keep that in mind as, as we go into this interview. And uh, I also asked him about football. So if you're not a fan of fantasy football, you might want to just fast forward the last five, <laughs> five to seven minutes of uh, the interview with Chaz and, uh, and hear what we have to say. But uh, here he is, Chaz Skelly on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by Chaz Skelly, who will be facing Grant Dawson at UFC 246, McGregor versus Cerrone. Uh, Chaz, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing this. And um, Grant Dawson, very tough opponent, only one loss on his record, uh, and, uh, you know, a young up-and-coming guy in the sport. Why was this an interesting fight for you to take? Uh, it's just the name that they gave me. You know, uh, they, I don't think I've turned down a fight that they've offered me yet. So Sean Shelby called me and asked me if I was uh, willing to fight Grant Dawson. I said, sure. You know, but but looking at his film, it is an interesting fight. You know, being that he's a he's a good grappler, he's a he's got some good wrestling, he's got some good grappling, so that'll make an interesting fight. Considering I'm a I'm a scrambler, and and I think that we could we could get in some interesting interesting situations here during this fight. Possibly put on a good a good show for the crowd, and uh and hopefully it's a it's a fun fight. Yeah, I think you were two of the stronger guys in the division in terms of uh, just position overall. And uh, I don't know how he's going to deal with the scrambling, but uh, he seems to think that arm triangle is his path to victory. Yeah, I mean, maybe so. You know, I don't know. I've never been, uh, I haven't been arm triangled in a fight. I don't know. I haven't been arm triangled many times in, in uh, training either, but I do. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good move. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, when... I guess it's a good thing to shut down some scrambling sometimes when you're, when you're, uh, I think that, I guess that he would assume that he's going to be in dominant position on top and I'm going to be switching back and switching my hips back and forth, trying to, trying to rock his base and he's going to, uh, clamp that up. So, you know, we'll see. Is it nice to have a fast turnaround? You fought once, uh, in 2018, once in 2019. It looks like you're probably looking to get, uh, more than one fight in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to get a faster turnaround, you know, especially with just just getting paid. You know, it's good to get paid, you know, two, three, four times a year. That's never a bad thing. And plus, when you have a faster turnaround, it means you're healthy. Being healthy is an awesome, awesome thing. You don't you don't come by it much in the sport. So, you know, yeah, obviously it's a gift to, to be able to fight multiple times in a year. Now, the reason I wanted to have you on is because I've heard you on various uh, MMA betting uh, shows. I know that you follow the sport. You watch a lot of tape. And the main event really intrigues me because I feel like people aren't looking at the skill for skill of Cerrone versus McGregor. And, you know, they're looking at the narrative of it. And Conor's going to fight three times and all of that. Am I on to something here? When you look at this fight, do the odds uh, seem further apart than they should be? 
I'm going to be honest with uh, when I have fights coming up, I, I generally I stay completely away from betting. I stay away from looking at odds and, and things of other fights. But I'm assuming that Connor's pretty heavy favorite. What, what, what are the odds? He's a three to one favorite. Three one favorite. Um, and so, what's the comeback on? He's on a plus Cerrone? plus two fifty. Plus two fifty. Yeah, around there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, man, you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, if I were without even doing, obviously, I've watched a lot of film on both guys, and I, I think, um, I think both guys are super talented, super talented athletes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty wide line there. I think, I think it should be a little. I could see Connor being the favorite, but I do think it should be a little closer than that. And I think, uh, I think Connor will have some luck if. Well, you know, I think one of the things that maybe the cappers are looking at is uh, the wear and tear on on Cerrone. And, you know, you look at his last fight, and, and he got a early stop, or he, he was stopped early. And, and then you, you look at some of his past fights, I think I think with the way that Connor strikes, with the, Connor is a uh, pretty precise. You know, he has, he has great accuracy with his left hand especially. Um, and what was it, Chad Mendez, that he went to the body real well and hurt him to the body and then, and then finished to the head. I think, I think if Cerrone, I meant Cerrone, if, uh, you know, McGregor focuses on the body early, I think it's going to pay dividends and, you know, I could see that going his way. Do you think that 170 pounds is going to make a difference, uh, in this fight? You know, we, we have not seen McGregor ever get a finish at 170 pounds, um, at 155, he's only fought once, so he's not really used to fighting in these heavier weight classes, whereas Cowboy has a wealth of experience at both 170 and 155. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, I didn't even know it was at 170. Um, <laughs> That's how zoned in you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I try not to to focus too much on other people's stuff when I'm when I'm when I have a fight coming up. You know, I like to just focus on myself. Uh, but yeah, I mean. Man, that you know that does make a difference. I would say, I have seen some pictures of McGregor. He looks good. You know, he looks in shape, and I think uh, you know he cut a lot of weight to get to 45. And you, you got to look at like, you know, Cerrone. I uh, didn't didn't Cerrone fight at 45 in WC? Did he fight at 45? I don't time? think he ever fought at 45. No, I know he, he was he was toying with the idea when he was in the UFC, but never ended up doing it. Okay, yeah. So you know. Uh, Cerrone's a 55-pounder fighting at 70 as well, but Cerrone's got a bigger frame. He's a taller guy. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't like McGregor fighting at 70. I think I think he should stay. I think 55 is his weight class, but, you know, I mean, whatever. If he feels good there, he feels good. I don't think it changes all that much because I'm sure that he walks around probably about 75, 80, maybe 85. I mean, something around that range. He won't have to cut much weight, if any. And then, you know, Cerrone, I couldn't tell you what he walks around at, but he always looks lean. He always looks in pretty decent shape. So I bet he doesn't walk much bigger than 180, 185 either. So, you know, I'm not sure that it'll make that much of a difference. How do you manage to get so zoned in that you just block out a lot of these outside factors when you've when you got a fight coming up? Like what, what do you do to uh, – do you just focus so much on that that you don't have time to focus on anything else? Um, no. You know, I mean, I just – Outside of my fight, I make it a point to watch video. I make it a point to seek out the young fight. I like to I like to watch a lot of like up and coming fighters and things like that, like the local shows or, or regional shows, and and just watch film on some of the younger guys. And then obviously I, I like to place bets, you know, small bets on some of the uh, the veteran. You know, I watch all the UFC fights and place bets on those in the Bellator and the One FC and everything. But I just. I have to make it a point to do that, though, outside of my own camps. Like, it's not like it's something I'm just like, oh, I'm going to wake up today, and, you know, it's like an everyday thing. I have to make it a point to go and watch video and do this and do that. And, and when I'm in camp, I just don't do it. You know I mean? It's not that hard. I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I still I still look on social media and this and that, but I just I guess I just overlooked the fact they were fighting at 170. Uh, you know, I just make it a point to not not bet and not, not – uh, watch film on other people. So when you're watching film, are you strictly watching Grant Dawson film? Have you seen all of his fights, at least the ones that there's viz available for? I've, I've watched several of his fights. Uh, I haven't watched them since, you know, the first, when they very first uh, told me 
I was fighting him. I watched this film and then I got a pretty good idea of, of how he likes to fight and what he likes to do. So, you know, uh, I didn't think there was too much need to, there's not too much need to focus so much on him. You know, uh, I kind of saw where he was at. I kind of saw what he likes. I kind of saw his style and, and, you know, now I just got to focus on myself and, and, uh, worry about what I'm going to do. Who have been some of your main training partners for this camp? You know, we have a great team here at, uh, Sanford MMA down in South Florida. It's, you know, I, I go a lot. I train a lot with Nick Lentz. I train a lot with uh, Adam Borks. I train a lot with uh, Herbert Burns. I train, a, you know, I mean, Marquez Jackson's a good one here. And uh, when Des has been in the room, I train with Des. When, when Michael's around, I train with Michael. But um, for this camp, I would say mostly I've trained with uh, Herbert, Nick, and Adam Borks. How much upside does, does Herbert Burns have? I mean, he seems like a, a really, really skilled young mixed martial artist. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, he has great jiu-jitsu. You know, his wrestling's good. It's definitely, uh, he improves every day, too. His, his striking improves every day. He's, he's got really, really solid kicks and, and uh, super slick jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, he has just a huge ceiling. Him and Adam both. I mean, Adam is... Adam is a really young guy that's fighting in the Bellator tournament, and uh, they both just have, you know, huge ceilings. I mean, sky's the limit for those guys for sure. And finally, Mike McCarthy, thoughts? Oh, you know, um, you know, I think, I think it could be a good thing. You know, I don't know. My, my only worry, my worry always when when dealing with the Cowboys is that Jerry Jones is going to bring in another yes man. You know, he's going to bring in another yes man. He's going to, but I mean, that's kind of, he's the owner. He's the GM. He's the man with all the, if you have any, if there's any, any decision needs to be made, he's going to be the person to make it with the Dallas Cowboys. He's made that clear. He's changed his stance on it. Uh, you know, I'm completely positive. He would have fired himself multiple times as GM already <laughs> if you know um, I hope it's not more of the same I like the I like the fact that I heard that Mike McCarthy was looking more into like the analytics side of it and uh, and getting that more involved with our game I, I like the fact that when he said and he came out and said that you know he was going to build the offense around Dak and he was going to focus on our run, ga- run game also you know uh, the only worry that I have is that, you know, in the past in Green Bay, that was an offense where they, I mean, they probably passed 70% of the time. I don't know the actual statistics of it, but if you look at an Aaron Rodgers ran offense where they're just passing the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball, um, you know, I think that we could struggle with that style of offense. I think, I think something that would work better for us would be to, you know, multiple – multiple formations, always moving guys around and, uh, and running the ball and hammering the ball. We have a great offensive line. We have a great running back. Uh, you know, sometimes Dak struggles with even the passes that seem like should be very easy passes. Uh, I hope to see him continue. To, he improved leaps and bounds from last year. So I hope to see him continue to improve and, and I hope Mike McCarthy comes in and really sets up an offense that allows him to succeed and also allows us to jam the ball down people's throats with our run game. I like that I just have to say Mike McCarthy thoughts, and I've got like a whole breakdown of the offense. I love it. You're passionate oh, about yeah. the Cowboys. Uh, sorry. Dude, I, love the, <laughs> I mean, I like sports. You know, I'm a sports guy. I like, I like football. And uh, I love baseball. I love football, mixed martial arts. But the Cowboys, you know, it's my team. So. Well, I want to start a fantasy league with uh, with mixed martial artists. Are you in if I start one? You don't want me in your league, man. I've been smashing fantasy leagues for years. I just won my – I won the points. And, and So last year – so I have three leagues. Last year I won two out of three. Um, this year I one, – one of my leagues is split up. It's a big, bigger money league. It's split up into points and the tournament. So the highest – the points gets uh, half the pot and the tournament winner gets half the pot. I got second in the tournament, but I won the points, so that was a good, good payout for me. And then, 
the other two leagues, I was in, I was in uh, first going into the playoffs in one of them and, and ended up losing in the first round. And then the other league I've won last two years in a row, which is a keeper league, and I got busted out uh, in the semis, I think. But my team is so sick. The, the keeper league is like – so I drafted Michael Thomas as a, a rookie. I drafted Juju Smith-Schuster as a rookie. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is a rookie. Uh, Jordan Howard. Uh, I got Julian Edelman after he was coming off of injury and he was suspended for four games. So I got him in like the super late rounds. And my team is just stacked. <laughs> they were just rolling. You know, I, picked up, <laughs> I picked up two running backs in the in the first round. I was the 12th pick because I won it the year before. So I picked. Up, I ended up picking up uh, Le'Veon Bell and, and Gurley and. And uh, and then I came back and got Mark Ingram, and something about this. My team just I don't know. You know, obviously Juju uh, didn't he, have. Yeah, a he great flamed year, out this but, year. Yeah, I had him on my team. But uh, man, I I felt like my team still should have just been killing it. And really, I was like a seven six. I don't or so you know, I don't even know. It was ridiculous. Well, but, I, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm would, planning on I'm planning on starting. I'm in. I'm, in. <laughs> I'm planning on starting the hardest fantasy league ever. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a two QB super flex league with two tight ends. That's oh. that's what I want to start for next year. So I don't know, but it's, that's that's pretty hardcore. But we'll see. Man, you know what? I hate quarterback heavy leagues too. Like, so the big money league that we have, uh, it's the scoring system's a little different. The defense never goes negative, which I, I kind of like that. So you're just getting positive points with your defense, depending on what they do. And, it, and the Chiefs ended up doing pretty well for me this year. And uh, and then you – the quarterback. So, if you, if you score a touchdown outside of – over 25 yards is 13 points. Uh, over 15 yards is like 10, and then you got your six. Uh, anything under 15 yards or 10 yards or whatever it is. And so, that's a pretty – it's, uh, you know, a pretty quarterback-heavy league because you're looking at most, you know, quarterbacks throwing – so, with I, I picked up uh, Lamar Jackson in that league. Oh, but there you go. That's that's a good guy to have on your team. Oh my god, dude! He just carried video me, game carried me to a championship <laughs> for sure. So. All right, man. Well, I will let you know when uh, when I get that up and running. It's not. It's going to be a little bit of time because I guess the season's kind of over in terms of fantasy. But you know, we'll 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 get it together. We'll get it together. Do you know any other guys in the UFC that are big into fantasy football that we can invite? Uh uh, off the top of my head, no, not really. But I mean, I'm sure if I asked around, it wouldn't be too hard to find some. <laughs> All right, well, let's do it. All right, thanks, Chaz. I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck against uh, Grant Dawson. All right, appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. That was Chaz Skelly on the TSN MMA show. Uh, massive card, obviously UFC 246. Looking forward to it, Joe. And uh, yeah. I guess I'll see you next next week. We got uh, a big card to break down in, uh, in North Carolina: Curtis Blades hey. versus Junior Dos Santos. Yeah, that's a fun one. Dos Santos, and then you got Dos Anjos in the co-main event against there Michael Chiesa. Yeah, big like fight it. for Curtis Blades. I think he's got a little advantage there. I would say with yeah, the wrestling, he's, he's the favorite in that fight, and I think that he probably should be. But uh, a lot of good uh, young talents on that card too. You got Herbert Burns, Tony Gravely, uh, Montel Jackson's a good up-and-comer as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I look forward to all these events. Yeah, like, with, with, it's, who not, it's not breaking news when I say who I'm looking forward to this event. Yeah. Um, anyhow, Joe, thanks for this, and uh, awesome. I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.